Well, good morning again to every one of you. I'm glad that you were able to join us today. hope that you've had a good week. My week was pretty good. Um, definitely appreciate the prayers of Mike this morning because I had to change around this message quite a few times this week, even into this morning, working on things, tweaking some things. And generally, that doesn't happen. You know, I, I don't really care for it when it does because it breaks the rules. The rules are I'm supposed to be done with the message by Friday so I could begin internalizing it Friday afternoon and over the weekend. I feel a lot more comfortable when that happens. But you know, rules are important, don't you think? I mean, if we didn't have them, then it would be like anarchy. We would just be going over all of the things in life with however we wanted to do things. Yes, I looked at you directly just so you guys got some notoriety. Um, but you know, there's definitely times when we only want to do the rules that we want to do. Let's take the mask issue for an instance. How are we doing with all of that? What about speeding on the way here? Did anybody speed this morning? Rolling through, <laughs> thank you for being honest, rolling through a stop sign maybe. You know, we, we do these things that might be against the rules. What about not being in your seat at 10.30 so we could begin? Wait, was that a rule? Mm, now it gets you thinking a little bit. You know, rules can definitely be important because they, they give us some boundaries. They give us safety. They give us acceptable behaviors as a society and what we need to do and how to, to react or behave. They help us to manage conflicts that can arise. There are many examples where rules, laws, things like that are beneficial. And then there's some other examples where those rules and laws have been abused by those in power throughout history. And it's been used to control populations of people. The next book of the Bible that we're going to look into for our series of Keeping in Step with the Spirit is the book of Galatians. The main text that we're going to be in is chapter 5, and today we're only going to look at the first half of that because, again, tweaking things in time. Um, and perhaps even more so than the book of Colossians, Galatians is a book that really builds on what it teaches throughout the whole book. Uh, it's a book that is very heavy on justification by faith and not works. The end of chapter 2 all of chapter 3, they're very crucial with understandings of what Paul is trying to teach to this church. And it can be difficult to understand, especially if we approach these types of passages with preconceived ideas of what we already believe about the matters. You know, I tend to think that when we, when we read books like this, we have a side that we gravitate towards. One that says, I already understand this book through this lens. So today I hope that we come at it with more of an open mind. Because Paul is dealing with two different extremes within the church. One being legalism. This is obviously the bigger focus that he talks about. And the other is having too much freedom in the grace that they've received. So how to rein things in a bit is found within this book. And Paul, I think, does a great job of trying to reach that balance between freedom and legalism to the early church. 
You know, you had people that wanted to do whatever they wanted uh, with their newfound freedom in Christ. And then you also had people who tried to hang on to the old law and incorporate that into the new church. It was easy to identify the, the Judaizers, as they are called, or the other heresies that surrounded the early church that went against the gospel message. We see things pointed out and identified for us throughout church history of the popular heresies, of the popular false teachings. But how easy is it to do today? You know, perhaps with some of the extreme cases, we're, easy, we're quick to identify those. But as I said last week, we're not too quick to say that it's us that Jesus might be calling out in terms of some of the beliefs that we are holding on to. Now, I realize many people don't think that they're wrong about things, and to say that somebody is wrong could be stepping on toes. It could be offensive or things like that. But as we are trying to piece together things that we find in the Bible, we want them to be nice and neat, but it's not always that way. Personally, I believe that both Calvin and Arminianists um, had truths that they spoke. I think people like MacArthur, Sproul, Piper, Olson, Francis Chan, many other godly men and women that are around us today do their best to faithfully represent the gospel message and the words of the Bible. It doesn't mean that I agree with everything that they say. Uh, in fact, I have vast differences with some of the popular pastors today. And in the same light, I know, I know, I do not have a corner on any truth in that matter when it comes to figuring things out with the smaller or minor matters. Um, I simply come each week humbly before you, sharing what the Lord has put on my heart, uh, working to be a little bit more blunt as the Spirit guides. But, you know, as a pastor, you don't want to cause people to stumble. You don't want to cause people to be tripped up in their faith and the ways that they believed. But I also want to challenge us in the teachings that we adhere to, especially when I hear things that, you know, doesn't always sit well and how to respond in gentleness. So as we look at our passage today, similar to last week, I want to read a little bit of context. So we're going to start in Galatians 2. If you can flip back there. We're going to read verses 15 through 21, and then the first half of chapter 5. Galatians 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in order, if in our endeavor to, to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live 
by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Flip over to chapter 5. Verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we encourage, or sorry, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds this morning as we go to your word. Help us to understand some of the deeper things, um, tying together even in our own hearts and minds, how to articulate to one another your truths about your grace. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so as I read chapter 2, if you want to kind of flip back there, this kind of kicks off Paul's defense of him preaching to the Galatians um, and what the actual purpose of the gospel is. You know, Paul is asking this question, is there freedom in Christ or not? The whole book, he addresses the issue of becoming a Jew first in order to become a Christian. This was the argument that was going on in the early church. In chapters 3 and 4, you have a great breakdown of the law and faith. You have an allegorical look at Sarah and Hagar and the promises that have been made. How things are done with the promises of God versus things being done with human hands. Um, And we look at this section here in chapter 2, and it's very clear in terms of justification in verse 16. It is by faith, faith in Christ, okay? This is coming up and against the teaching that the Jewish Christians who, who wanted to hang on to the law, to incorporate the law into the system of the new church. Now, what does the law consist of? This is where we can get into some of the stickier issues today, how we define our terms. And we have to understand what it would mean to the original audience. Even though Paul's original audience is the Galatians, who would be Gentiles, they still probably had a better understanding of what Paul meant by the law than we do today. 
Um, for the most part, um, you know, when we understand the law today, we have to understand how we have added in our own understandings, our own theologies. For the most part, when I talk about the law today, I'm going to be talking about the understanding that comes from a believer's perspective. You know, we had a, a good Sunday school video today that talked about the use of the law in evangelism. I'm not going to be talking about those types of areas, but as a believer, how do we understand the law? How does it impact our daily life? In general, the law refers to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Torah is the Hebrew word for the word law. In the generalized look then, all of the rules, regulations that you find within those books uh, and what those books contain are meant for the followers to obey. They are to adhere to those things. Now, within the law, we do find some separations within the Old Testament. Not necessarily identified, just understood. Again, being in that original audience helps. You have more of that context. You have these breakdowns called the ceremonial law. This is the different regulations. These are the sacrifices, the ordinances, the offerings, all of the things like that that people would need to do in order to um, make themselves right with God. One of the biggest things within the ceremonial law was circumcision. Circumcision marked you as one of God's people. This is often also referred to as the Mosaic Law because it was written by the hand of Moses. Even though it comes from God, it was often referred to as the Law of Moses. Whereas on the other side of this, you had what is often called the Moral Law. This is the Ten Commandments. These were written by the hand of God. The moral law would define the sin that you broke. The ceremonial law would help instruct you on how to make things right, how to make restitution. Um, the issue that people struggle with is when you add Jesus into the mix. Did Jesus satisfy or fulfill all of the law with his death? That includes the moral law. Or did it only include the ceremonial law? If it did, what then is the purpose of the moral law? Is it a work that must be done in order to attain salvation? Is it a club that we use to keep people in line? As I started the message in Galatians chapter 5, I had no idea that it was going to go in this direction. And honestly, a lot of it can be over my head as well, trying to piece together and understand a lot of the, how the components go together. But when you get into some of these deeper subjects and you go into these topics, it can become a little bit more tough. But it's important to remember some certain things behind this, and that is the nature of God. To where in our minds we like linear thinking. We like how A leads to B. We like to think of God as love, and we separate that out here. Or we like to think that God is holy, and we separate that out here, when it's really just God and all of who he is. We have to understand his nature as we understand some of these topics. So as I continue to share today, I hope that you stay with me as I try to bring it around full cir circle for us, but I want to set the scene just a little bit more for us. See, the issue in Paul's day 
was that the Jewish Christians wanted to control who came to Christ. Much like there was control with their Jewish laws, a lifestyle that they were accustomed to, where they felt comfortable with. They had those laws, they could control people with that. Let's kind of go back to that. And the biggest way that they want to control, there's two big ways. The biggest way was through circumcision. Where to the Gentiles, it was fine if you wanted to come to Christ, but you need to be circumcised first. This showed that you were going to be a Jew first, and then you could become a Christian. The second way that they tried to do this was through regulating foods. To where the foods that you ate most often were dedicated to foreign gods. And the Jews said, you can't eat those foods because it makes you unclean. Again, holding on to the old ways, not understanding the grace that was given through Christ. And Paul, he goes to Jerusalem and he confronts the council and he confronts Peter on these things. He wants to know if he is preaching to the Gentiles in vain. Like, what am I doing out here? If you guys are going to change the rules from what the gospel is, then why am I even doing this? You know, he has been preaching freedom in Christ. And Paul is arguing you can't have it both ways. Either you are trusting in the law of Moses to save you, or you are trusting in Christ to save you. That's the biggest issue within the book of Galatians. And as we go then to chapter 5 and verse 1, we see a very key verse in all of this letter. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That is the true nature of the gospel. That is the work of Christ on the believer's half, which tells the believer to turn away from anything that would resemble legalism. They, would, they were to rest in the victory of Christ and then live in the power of the Spirit. The danger was not returning to a slavery of sin because that bond had been broken by Christ. The danger was returning to the slavery of legalism that would be their, their way then to reach justification rather than resting in Christ. And in chapter 5, Paul is leveling with the readers here, looking at, at verse 2. You know, if you accept circumcision, Christ is going to be of no advantage to you. Now, he's not talking about the act of circumcision. People can get that done for medical reasons. Um, but he is talking more about the meaning behind the act. What is the intent? Are you identifying with this requirement for the law and justification? If so, Paul is warning them, you then need to complete all of those requirements of the law. And Christ is of no use to you. So again, pointing out what are you depending on for, what are you putting your faith in? Are you putting it in yourself with your works of the law or are you putting it in Christ with his work on the cross? If you're depending on yourself for salvation, you're going to be judged accordingly. The law points out our sin. That is the benefit that Paul brings out in Galatians. The law was created to make us aware of our transgressions and then give us a way to deal with those in the temporary until Christ would come where that permanent covenant would come into play. Um, and that salvation through Christ is offered as a gift where one must accept that through believing, through faith. And as you look at verses 4 through 6, I really want you to meditate on those three verses this week. 
because he really lays out the differences really well in terms of understanding the law and understanding faith. Through faith, you wait. You look at at verse 5, you wait for the hope of righteousness. Through the law, you're working for your salvation. You're trying to complete the law. You're doing the acts. You're doing the actions. It's about you. Whereas faith is completely dependent on Christ. In Christ, physical circumcision doesn't matter one way or the other. Circumcised, uncircumcised. The physical act of it doesn't matter. Are you in Christ? Are you trusting in him for your salvation? Through faith. The faith that is working through the agape love. And also notice in verses 5 and 6, an interesting observation that I had as I've been going through these different passages with this lens. Um, you know, as a pastor, I always knew of 1 Corinthians 13 with the faith, hope, and love and how that was a, a strong thing. But it seems like in every passage that we've gone over, we see that same connection, that same consistency from Paul, this connection of faith, hope, and love. And you can highlight all three of those words within those two verses to show that connection. In the Old Covenant... Circumcision marked God's people, his elect. They took pride in that. They, that identified themselves with God. It'd be similar to where if you went out and as a church body maybe, we go out and we just all go get cross tattoos. That's going to mark us as Christians. Anybody on board? Well, a couple of our teenagers and Russ, okay. <laughs> and Russ, all right, yeah, um, or, you know, if, if you've got that bumper sticker on your car to identify, hey, I'm a Christian. Or maybe if you sent that forward of that email to those 10 people so that you can ensure that you get into heaven. You know, where again, that's not the right attitude. That's not the right way to go about it because you're trying to do a work to identify you with Christ. Whereas Christ has done that work for us. For us. Simply faith in what he has done. Now, in the New Testament, we see these shifts, these covenantal changes that happen with Christ. And I can imagine, you know, living during that time, it would be difficult for the Jews of the day to fully understand and to come on board with that. You know, if you have believed your whole life in a certain way of doing things, and then somebody comes and tells you, no, it's actually going to be this way, it's not going to be easy for you just to change willy-nilly like that. But the terms or the understanding of the law changes from the law and how we would break that up into the ceremonial law or the moral law to just the law of Christ or the law of faith. Many times in the New Testament, it just says the law. It doesn't break it down the way that we understand things. So we have to look at some context to try to pull some strings and figure out what they're actually talking about. But most of the time, it just says the law. It's us that then puts that interpretation on there to determine, yep, that's the moral law or that's the ceremonial law. And we have to understand what we're doing when we're doing that. So where Jesus is fulfilling these requirements of the law We are no longer held to that law. Christ paid that price for us. And then we move to this law of Christ, which is bound in grace and forgiveness. That is what we put our hope into. 
I want to look at a couple passages with you. If you want to turn back, you can keep a marker there in Galatians. If you turn back to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 27 through 31. And I'm gonna, I got to speed up here a little bit. Romans 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So you see, with the law of faith that's being introduced here, it's not contrary to the law. That's a big point that we have to understand as well. It's not going to go contrary to the word of God. Also, if you want to do a little bit more studying, the end of chapter 2 in Romans has a wonderful explanation on circumcision. So you can jot that down and spend some time there. And notice how it says it's not contrary to the law. Again, it's not specified in terms of the moral law or the, the ceremonial law. Um, perhaps it's just assumed to be understood by these readers. Flip over to chapter 4 in Romans, beginning in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on the grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Skipping over to Romans 10. Just going to read verse 4 there. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Again, not specifying the divisions that we might put. He is the end of the law. And then last one, Philippians, which is after your Galatians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then we can turn back there to Galatians 5. And again, trying to uncover what Paul is unpacking for the Galatians. Looking down in verse 14. It says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice it says the whole law. It doesn't say the moral law. It doesn't say the ceremonial law. When it says whole law, maybe we shouldn't separate those types of things out. We shouldn't break that up. But of course, as I say that, I'm going to break it up a little bit. See, as I read this, I would say that this statement points more towards the moral law. 
that's being referenced in terms of loving your neighbors. Since the ceremonial law dealt with restitution to God and paying for those sins, what he is saying here tends to deal with how we are treating others. And that's kind of the last six of the Ten Commandments. Um, and, and, you know, within all of this, I understand that it's a lot to understand. The way that I have reconciled this in the past is, you know, I understand what Jesus says in Matthew 22 when he sums up the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, basically almost all of the Old Testament, is summed up in those two commandments that he gives. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love others as yourself. These are the commands that Jesus gives. The two commands that the church, his followers, are given to live by. This is what they're to take everything back to. Now, is the moral law included in that? I would say, yeah. There's a lot of overlap within the changing to the different covenant and our understandings of how to work that out. So even if you do make these types of distinctions or you try to break things down, normally I'm more at peace when I'm taking things back to the words that Christ uses as he tries to explain things. Because there's going to be transcendent things. The word of God does not fail. It does not cease. It does not go away. Things like the Ten Commandments do not fade away, no matter what our theologies might tell us. Perhaps the, it might be easier to think of the Ten Commandments as these two general laws of loving God and loving others. But I think it's more impacting of how we approach them. And that's what Paul is getting at in terms of this issue with circumcision. How are you approaching this action? Are you depending on this for your salvation or are you depending on Christ? How are you treating the moral law? Are you using it as a club to keep others in line? Or are you understanding the heart of Christ that is in us, understanding the grace that we have received, and this is the way that Christ wants me to live? Well, we're understanding his movement in us. Because oftentimes we can get hung up as I said, on those rules or those laws that we like to keep. You know, when you think about the Ten Commandments, do we keep them all? When I say the moral law, do we, do we understand what that means? Do we, well, maybe that keep the Lord's Sabbath holy because there's football on this afternoon. Maybe taking the, names, the Lord's name in vain. You know, when we think about those things, what are we obeying? What are we getting hung up on? You know, these, these teachings that Paul is drawing out sh make shifts in the church. They brought out this new way to live and believe, and it was difficult. But on both sides of this issue of the law, there is a ruckus that is going on. The Galatian church was running well. And then someone comes into that church and brings in some legalism with him. Based on the context, it is about circumcision. Now, legalism can come in many forms. Where we are putting restrictions on salvation, or we're adding things to the requirements to remain saved. Again, legalism are laws that are enacted to control a population. For instance, maybe you have to dress in a certain way to come to church. Maybe there can't be drums on the stage. Um, you know, maybe... Maybe you have to be able to speak in tongues to be saved. You know, traditions 
or beliefs, preferences, that are elevated to the same level of salvation and tied to it. Requirements that are added in for our understandings. These types of things happen in churches all over the world. And it's giving the wrong message because it's going against the gospel that they had received. Now, on the other side, he calls them out as well. People that are using their freedoms in Christ to partake in the desires of the flesh. Thinking, oh, I can still do this because, well, Jesus died for my sins. So I can continue to go out and live in, in the old ways. An attitude that says I can still do whatever in the flesh. Thanks be to God. It's the wrong attitude. It shows a lack of repentance, a lack of awareness of the sin that was in your life that Jesus died for. An attitude that says, no, I I say attitude because it reflects the heart. It reflects where your heart is at in those matters. And when we're treating uh, our our understanding of salvation and and what we've received, how are we living that out? How are we treating that? Are we treating it respectfully? Are we treating it with holiness? Are we treating it with the understanding that comes from the word? You know, this person that comes into this Galatian church, I had some some intense prayers about him this week. Um, You know, obviously within the context, he's coming in, he's preaching a different gospel. He's preaching something other than Christ, and, and that's heresy. He is a legalist. With whatever he is teaching, he is hindering the church from continuing to run. A church who has already believed the gospel message. But you know, as I've been taking these messages to heart, many times I ask myself questions throughout the week. As I'm doing my sermon prep, I ask myself, the biggest one I always ask is, where do I fit into this story? And this week's question was, am I this person? And that's a hard question to ask yourself. Or is what I am saying drawing us closer to Christ or taking us away from him? It's something that you, as a pastor, that you balance and you weigh every week. And that you pray that you are representing the word of God faithfully. You know, as I've been asking that question, you know, what direction am I steering in the church? I recognize that as a church, we are mixed with different beliefs and traditions. We come from different backgrounds and have different baggages from our past that we all bring in. And we come in together as one body around a gospel message and a common vision for missions. It's a beautiful thing. But when you think about those issues, when you think about that baggage, when you think about those preferences that we all have, do we elevate those to the level of salvation? Do we elevate those things and tie them to salvation, bringing in some form of legalism? It's kind of a scary thing to pray about. But I think it's good to check our hearts in those matters. Knowing I'm not perfect, I'm sure there's been many sermons where I have failed in what I've said. But I am confident in the Lord as well. I am confident that your confidence is in the power of Christ and not me as a preacher. While at the same time, you have confidence in me that I'm not going to lead you astray. I'm not going to come up here and spout different heresies or lead you 
away from Christ. Hopefully that is to be understood. But your hope lies in Him. Your faith lies in Him. Your love lies in Him and Him in you. With both of these extremes, uh, of those who advocated extreme grace or those who um, advocated extreme law and legalism, they were barely opposed to each other, right? Paul cautions both sides to love each other or they would be consumed, and that would not be a good example of Christian love. He also expresses an extreme punishment that's described here. Now, you know, he wants this person to be emasculated, castrated. I don't know if that's literal. I'll take it figuratively for you once and just go with that meaning in that for somebody that is causing division, he wants them to be cut off from the body. He wants that teaching to be rooted out, to not spread. When you think of reproduction and stuff like that, to to spread that type of seed to be sown. He only wants the gospel of Christ to flourish within this body. Anything else, he wants cut off. He wants this division to stop. Otherwise, they would be consumed. Now, when we see this type of thing today, what happens? Basically, you just go down the church across the street You divide a church, you start a new church. You're still living in the same community. You're still running in the same circles, but the division is evident. The love of Christ is not present within the larger body. It's not how the gospel should work. You know, a love-hate thing that I have about the Alliance denomination. They try their best to be a big tent umbrella type of organization, welcoming all kinds of viewpoints, backgrounds, and things like that for the sake of the gospel message, for the sake of getting the gospel to the ends of the earth. Love that about them. But when you mix a bunch of different people together with different backgrounds, it gets hard to wade through all of the different beliefs. I mean, it's so much nicer if everybody just believed the way that you believed, right? Assuming that you're believing the right thing, because we all know I'm believing the right thing. Thank you for laughing. Understanding that none of us are perfect. I guess that we're stuck with each other. But that's also the beauty of it. We get to come alongside of each other, sharpening one another in our life. The Bible says as a body that you get to mourn as others are mourning. You get to rejoice as others are rejoicing. We get to come alongside of each other and help each other grow in the love of Christ. We get to serve each other through love. What a pure joy and a blessing it is to be here each week with all of you, to see that service. But I got to tell you, I think I'm getting the better end of this deal. I get to be involved with many things that are going on that many others don't know, impacts in individuals' lives. I get to see the Lord working in those ways. Whereas you, you just get to come up here and see me ramble for a week, each week for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it might be. You know, as with any family, there's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be things that might need to be smoothed out, things that might need to be ironed out. But we need to keep in mind to love each other as we love ourselves in the law of Christ. 
If we bite each other, if you try to devour each other, you will be consumed. Consumed with the things of the old self. Consumed with what the rest of chapter 5 is going to talk about. And we'll talk about in the next message. With bitterness, with anger, with envy, with malice. Those types of things will eat you up if you focus on those divisions. There th- and again, we will get into those things in the next message. So let's, let's pray for today. Lord, we just want to thank you for the time that you've given us in the Word. And I pray that as we try to understand what Paul is struggling with, dealing with in the Galatian church, with the Jewish Christians, with the council in Jerusalem, Lord, history often repeats itself as we have many different issues that face our body or our communities, denominations, whatever it may be, things that would seek to divide. And I pray that we can stay focused on the gospel message, that we can understand what it is that you went to the cross for, that we wouldn't be on the extreme side of legalism or on the extreme side of you know, free grace to where we can do whatever we want, but you would continue to hone us and balance us in the truth of your word where we're living by the Spirit, keeping in step with his instructions, encouraging, admonishing, and guiding one another to be drawn closer to you so that as we rejoice, we can glorify your name. Lord, for that is what matters. In your name I pray, amen.